right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Crypto 101 Podcast. I'm your host, Bryce, as always, joined by my notorious compadre, Mr. Aaron Pizza Mind Malone. How you doing, Pete? I'm doing great. I'm over in my new Airbnb here in uh, Via Olympia in Sao Paulo. Feeling good. And hey, you know something that I was thinking about? We don't talk very much about how cryptocurrency is not just changing the way people transact, but the way machines and things can transact mm-hmm. as well. This is yeah. another use case for blockchain that is extremely underrated, but it's going to be a very critical part of our universe going forwards. Yeah. Now, we always talk about, you know, machine to machine transactions and the future of the world being run on smart contracts and, and what all that means. And guys, we're going to be diving into that. Uh, in some detail today with our guest. Uh, he goes by Leonard, a.k.a. Leo. Uh, last name, Durlichter. Uh, and I think I actually nailed that. Um, how are you doing, Leo? Very, very good. Yeah, great to be here. And um, <laughs> yeah, happy to dive in. And you you did nail my last name. It's, it's fairly complicated. <laughs> I was doing warm-up exercises backstage before the show. Uh, for, to make sure I had that uh, pronunciation correctly. But you're the co-founder of Peak. You, you guys are thinking about uh, the economy of things. Um, I used to know this as the internet of things, all these small little connected devices. Um, but what are you guys building over there? Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three-in-one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee. Unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recordings, they're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Ufi Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have. And it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Ufi Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Ufi Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit ufiofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Ufi Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a massive term, right? The economy of things and economy between machines. So it actually goes back to 2017, where we started exploring the potential between IoT and blockchain. And it was quite clear to us back then already that all those smart connected machines are emerging, right? Smart home devices, vehicles, robots, devices, and all of them at some point, sooner or later, can offer goods and services. So if you think about a vehicle, robotaxi, we've heard that in the context of Tesla, they can drive around autonomously, move people around and earn money from that. So for us, it was 
quite clear it, it this needs an open system this needs a blockchain where all of those things can have an identity and then they can say look i'm offering this service right now for this price and someone else can see this and buy this because if if we think in terms of web 2 uh, the traditional internet as we know it today you have one platform for one specific use case but you don't have an open ecosystem where all of, of those things can like really transact and offer and consume goods and services so it's more than just one platform for let's say car sharing but on the same network you can also charge your electric vehicles you can find a parking spot and all of those use cases so it's really an economy emerging based on smart machines. That's really cool. And all of this seems to be grouped under a new crypto niche called DPIN, or Decentralized yes. Physical Infrastructure. Can you give us maybe a short list of some devices that, or services that would count as being part of DPIN? Absolutely. So we're very happy that this is emerging now and the whole space gets kind of a name and an umbrella on, on under which people can identify those use cases. But there are there are many great deepen use cases. So one, for example, just launched recently on Peak, which is called eLoop. They are building a decentralized network for or like a decentralized car sharing service where people can invest into vehicles, in their case, Teslas, then they buy those Teslas, those Teslas generate revenue, and the revenue is being split between the people who invested into the Teslas. So what happens now, they democratize car sharing, everyone now can Very invest cool. in and earn a part of a car sharing fleet. Yeah. And an another cool example is uh, Natix network, they're building also on peak, which is a decentralized camera network. They built what they call the Internet of Cameras. Everyone can, while they drive, put their smartphone in the car and map the street in real time. There's a construction mm. happening, an accident was happening, and so on. And for collecting that data, you're being rewarded. And those are some, some deep in use cases, but it goes into electric vehicle charging, neighbors being able to share their charging station with each other's 5G hotspots, helium, we know from the, the lower one, but they expand to 5G now. So communities can build tel telco networks where they share connectivity with each other. It's really, yeah, there's so many use cases. It, do you think that this is going to create some kind of power shift um, and if so, what does that new dynamic look like? And what industries yeah, think, are going to be impacted, I should say, as well? I think for the first time in, in human history, it's, it's possible to build physical infrastructure in a decentralized way. Mm -hmm. right? Traditionally, we always had a big telco company building a telco network. That's always will be there, but now it can be decentralized further. <laughs> energy companies building massive energy grids building energy production um, sites and then kind of managing the grid and actually this this is a good good example so the the energy industry will be massively disrupted we have more and more renewable energy sources people can put solar panels on their rooftop they can um, generate energy heat pumps they they can install heat pumps so the energy grid is getting more and more decentralized. People are generating energy and can sell it and buy it from each other. They can sell it via charging sessions and so on. So the 
energy grid is going to be very decentralized in, in 10 years from now. And I think this is a cool example of how the power, which was traditionally with big energy companies and which had to be organized in a very centralized way can now be organized in a decentralized way, much and more efficient and cheaper. So, so is that the main draw is that it's you know, efficient and more cheaper? Are there some other merits of decentralization or this new kind of technology? Like, do people get more privacy over information? Is something you know, maybe more resilient against some kind of failure? Yeah, privacy is definitely one aspect that you own your data, for example, and you can sell it in the way you want. I believe the most important part that comes with Deepin is really democratization. So we're heading towards the age of automation right now. ChatGPT, AI is taking over. We see autonomous driving. The most common job in the US is driving a vehicle. I think it's 5 million people who drive trucks and cars every day. They're all going to be automated in 10 years. So what happens to them, right? Some of them maybe find other jobs, but if the automated fleets are all controlled and owned by a few big companies, they make all the money, they create all the value. But if we can create deepens where everyone can invest and participate in those autonomous fleets and pools of machines like robotaxis, everyone can earn from them. For example, Eloop, right? Who enables everyone to invest in car sharing and earn from it. So I really believe it's, it's a great tool to decentralize um, ownership and also to democratize the money and the revenue that the, the age of automation is, is generating. That's really exciting. As I'm here in Sao Paulo, and for those of you who've never been, Sao Paulo is like New York City if it was the size of Los Angeles. It is just skyscrapers stretching out for eons in all directions. And if I were to say, okay, we're going to have decentralized physical infrastructure be part of Sao Paulo. There's just millions and millions, if not a billion devices that would be connected to that network. And then if you do that all over the world to major cities, you're talking multiple billions of devices all interacting and doing transactions nonstop. How does a blockchain keep up with all this traffic? I mean, we see Ethereum just barely able to keep up with NFT minting. What have you guys built over there that's able to handle all this? Absolutely. Yeah, scalability is a, is a big, big thing. And of course, like you're saying, so many microtransactions, so many sensors that all need to transact. And we're actually leveraging Polkadot for, for scalability. And there's a very exciting update coming out now, which shifts away from the parachain approach to, to so-called course. I, I don't want to get too technical, but basically in a nutshell, Polkadot allows us as a layer one blockchain to buy as much computational power from Polkadot as we need so we can scale up the transactions as we need them. If there are 1,000 transactions, we buy that computational power. 10,000, we buy that. 100,000, we buy that. So we have a very scalable way leveraging Polkadot as a layer zero. And this really enables us to scale with demand on the network while keeping extremely low transaction fees because... That's super important, right? They need to be very cheap, the transactions. Otherwise, those sensors uh, won't be able to transact there. Yeah, hundreds of fractions of a penny even. Now, yes. you said Polkadot Core, a brand new thing that's coming out. Is that 
the way to think about that is that kind of like a cloud service, like a, a Amazon Web Services or a Microsoft Azure that they've created? Yes, you can basically rent space and course uh, of validating transactions and blocks from our chain, right, from the, the peak layer one that can um, be validated and secured by Polkadot. And you can really scale oh, that see. up. Yeah, so and it, it's, bas it's like you said, it's uh, comparable to cloud services. And this is, this is pretty incredible. So we can um, compete with uh, transaction throughput with the likes of Solana, for example, because of Polkadot's architecture and what it, what it enables. Wow. Is that, I mean, I know a lot of people, whenever they start talking about Polkadot, um, they naturally talk about like, maybe what the decisions went into choosing that instead of Cosmos. Um, do you find those like two pretty comparable platforms? And if so, like what was your decision to go one way or the other? Yeah, so they, they, they have similar approaches for sure. I mean, Cosmos is less connected than Polkadot, right? You don't need to connect to the Polkadot network to be part of the Pol uh, Cosmos ecosystem of the cosmos ecosystem you can uh, simply build your own layer one and then connect it through the 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 protocol ibc um we decided for polkadot because of substrate as a framework we really like that that framework that is used in the polkadot ecosystem and also to the ability to um get to basically outsource security and yeah to outsource security and all of the interoperability that comes with the parachain is, is a big one. If, if you saw like there's quite a shift right now, a lot of independent Ethereum layer ones are working on becoming um, Ethereum layer twos now because they don't mm -hmm. see the need to create their own set of validators, secure the network. Securing a blockchain network is a, is a massive task, right? You need to put out a lot of resources and energy behind that. So, having the ability to outsource security to the Polkadot relay chain is, is, is a massive advantage. And then having native interoperability with all those networks. So we can, yeah, use business logic from, from other Polkadot parachains and, and, and one other thing to add, it's an incredible developer ecosystem. It's the second biggest developer ecosystem on Web3. So there are a lot of developers building in the Polkadot ecosystem which is great. There's a lot of great code we can use. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. That's awesome. Uh, big fans of Polkadot over here as well. So one of the things that I was wondering, you know, they say data is the new oil, but what companies out there are really willing to fork out enormous amounts of money to pay for it, to give all this data that's being generated value? That's a very good question. And that's actually one of the big problems a lot of deepened models have. So deepened models are crowdsourcing data. But if then there's not enough demand and people or companies willing to pay for that data, 
the model doesn't work, right? Because the rewards don't really add up and, and the, the economics don't make sense. So that's something I, I always recommend to any deepen that they really need to clearly identify the demand side. Creating supply is possible. We saw that with Helium, they build up this massive LoRaWAN supply network, but then no one is yet using LoRaWAN's IoT connectivity standard connectivity. Like it's, it's not adopted enough yet. And therefore the, the model doesn't really work at least for lower one, for, for 5G it will work. Um, on the deep end side, it's the same thing, right? You, if you don't have a clear target that is willing to pay for the data you're providing, then it's difficult. Um, but they're, they're great use cases. Like for example, uh, Demo, they built a, a deep end for decentralized, for car data, right? To build, build uh, crowdsource car data. And there's a lot of money behind mobility data, car data, things like road damage detection. You have mm -hmm. road damage, cities and governments are interested in buying the data on where there's road damage. You have um, data in terms of how the cars run and operated uh, second life. So cars, car data has quite some value. And yeah, it's um, definitely a, a challenge to find the the people who pay the oil money or the not the oil money but the the price that's being paid for oil for for data yeah. i guess the most valuable data is, is is user data right to profile people in order to to target them advertise what matter is doing basically so so what does peak um practically look like maybe on the uh consumer end of things do you download an app start to you know kind of you know, select or suggest which of your data streams kind of can get sold or purchased at, and at what price. And that's kind of how I'm conceptualizing it in my head, but I have no idea how, how your app works or if there is even an app, maybe it's just a network. Yeah. So peak is the, the, the platform for the apps actually similar to iOS. Okay. So it's a, it's a development platform where developers can then build consumer facing applications. So they, we don't have a app directly. We do have a, a web app where, or multiple where people can interact with the network, work on their favorite applications and so on. But yeah, it's, it's not, it's not consumer um, facing. And so, uh, mainly a developer is, um, you know, logging on and, and are, you know, are, are they creating these applications that then users can go download? Um, is that kind of the, how it's envisioned? Absolutely. Uh, for example, Natix Network, they've just released an app for, which is called Drive End. And it's a mobile app that you simply download and you can really put it in your car. And when you drive, uh, it collects data of the street, it maps it, and the, the people are getting rewarded. So this is a They're getting rewarded in tokens or uh, some other currency? Correct. They're getting rewarded in the, the Natix uh, tokens. And this is an app that then uses the Peak network, for example, functionalities are identities and so on. So the Peak is the back end, basically. And applications, those deepens, can leverage Peak as a backend to build the consumer-facing applications. What What are some incentives uh, to get it, getting people involved in these networks or getting involved in data sharing applications and stuff um, to keep them sticky? Like, what are incentives b besides like you know more tokens and higher prices 
Um, and I kind of just remember like there was one token called Steppin, and it was like, mm. you know, people all around the world were, um, you know, running around, and the further they ran every day, and they would track their steps online, and they would get paid in, you know, these Steppin tokens. But then the, pr- the price of the token crashed, and now nobody uses really the platform anymore. Um, what are some other ways to keep people around? So one way is, for example, that you providing data to, to a certain network, let's take Natics as an example as well, also get access to all the data that others are providing. So if you use the app and you provide value, you can also see where's the construction, what is happening. So you're basically becoming a, a free customer of the value that everyone else is generating. This is quite a cool way where you provide value and you get value back from the community. This is one way to to reward people as an example besides uh, token rewards. And then, of course, ultimately, the best reward is actually tokens that have sustainable value that don't crash. And that's why economics in Deepens are so important. And a lot of projects haven't got them right, like like Stepin as an example, right, where yeah, it's, it's, it's not a sustainable model. So this is where I think the next generation of Deepens really needs to put in a lot of effort because finding the demand side that is paying for the data that's being provided, that is paying for the goods and service that's being provided is so important. That's the cool thing about car sharing. Everyone wants car sharing. People just use the car and share or electric vehicle charging. You know, it's, it's, there's already a demand on the market. If you build a Deepen on something where there's already a demand, that there's real value being created that can be distributed. 5G connectivity as well. It's already out there. People want it. And that's a pretty, pretty good way um, to, yeah, to create sustainable reward streams for everyone who contributes. That's awesome. Uh, let's talk about the peak token. Uh, what were your thought processes in designing the tokenomics behind there in terms of supply and emission schedule? And, you know, what does the token do and when can we get our hands on it? Yeah, so we, we spend a lot of time on the peak token, right? I mean, the, the most important thing is utility. Like, what is the real inner value of that token? What can people do with it? And so we spend a lot of time on designing utility, going from basic things like transaction fees, right? And using it for reward mechanisms uh, to things like machine staking in the future. This is like future utility where you can build a decentralized reputation system staking the token in, hey, this charging station is available and it's working. You stake on this. And if it doesn't work, if it's not available, you get punished basically. So there are many different utilities. I mean, the most important one is really network usage, transaction fees. There's also something which we call machine DeFi, where liquidity is being provided to fund machines and new assets that are being added to the network. And the token is also involved in that. Um, when it comes to, yeah, to like the, the, the total amount, um, there will be 4.2 billion. And then of course, um, people are, are vested, right? Like, like the team is vested, investors are being vested. There's a release schedule. Um, we, we try to design it in a way that of course the project needs a lot of funding. So we need to allocate a good amount of tokens for investors, making sure the project has enough funding and then, yeah, designing 
as healthy tokenomics as possible. Inflation we keep very low at 2.5% to start with. So there's some inflation, but not too much. Then there will, it's called the deflationary model. So it decreases every year until it uh, arrives at 1% inflation. And yeah, like it's all about creating real value, strong utility and making sure that everyone um, that participates is 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 happy and uh, is participating of a growing ecosystem. In terms of timeline, so we're building up a lot of traction on the test right night test net right now. Our Canary Network Crest uh, has launched, and there will be a token soon. This is kind of the the, the small cousin of Peak, which is the Kusama equivalent of of Peak, and the Peak Network will be launching in. Q1 next year, that is the, the timeline we aim for. There's a lot of yeah traction, also further funding that we're onboarding. And yeah, like we have them, like our standard is to launch a very mature product. So when we launch a token and the network, it's a very complete network in terms of functionality with a lot of traction, a lot of usage already. And this is how we, we launch. Um, and that's why it takes a bit, but therefore it's going to be a very, very solid launch. Yeah. Well, good things are worth waiting for. Yeah. I was going to say you want to test the airplane before you fly it. <laughs> good things Absolutely. are worth waiting for, you know. Absolutely. Um, no, I love it, man. This is incredible. And, you know, kind of I'm curious what it was like building through a bear market. How was it that you were able to rally the troops and keep people, uh, you know, focused and looking forward i mean just speaking from you know as as a you know you're a crypto founder you know there might be other people in in the audience who are listening who are founders of other small businesses outside of the crypto sphere and this might just be their hobby and they they just want to know from successful founders how to how to keep people motivated through tough cycles yeah i think irrational optimism helps a lot and is needed <laughs> right there we we had so many downs and ups as well but it's been very very tough and we had this massive vision all along then getting funding for it many years ago before deepen was a thing of course now with deepen becoming a thing funds are looking into this things get much much easier but uh years ago this was much more difficult to get people behind us uh, believing into that vision iot blockchain very hard thing to pull off so we always just we didn't give up. That's one thing. So I think resilience is extremely important. And then you just got to be irrationally optimistic, like find a way to have keep hope and the spirit up, even though things look really bad. And what I can say is the longer you stay in the game, the more resilient you are, the the more luck comes, comes your way. So we, mm -hmm. we start getting really lucky now. And it happens because we've been able to push through all the tough times and just able to to now the timing is right the timing is in in our favor and we had to be very patient and work very long and very hard until until this happened so i can really say being resilient and staying optimistic and yeah pushing through not giving up is is i think underrated yeah there's many it. founders out there that are you know, chasing their dreams, but they're afraid to knock on that VC door or that investor door and do a presentation for fear of rejection. Or maybe they have been rejected a lot and they don't know when they're ever going to get a yes. 
what kind of advice would you give to someone in that position right now who's just coming out of two brutal years of trying to get funding for anything? When you get started speaking to investors, I, if I look back at our first pitch deck and our first pitches, it, they've been horrible. Like, they've been so bad. But we were able to get now where we are because we just kept on going, iterating, implementing feedback, getting rejected, but then still finding it's a numbers game as well, right? You still, if you keep going at some point, the investors are also like, wow, these guys have so much fire. They just keep going, keep pushing. I believe in them making something out of it. And then if you keep going and keep iterating, you, you can improve, you get better and better, your pitch gets better and better, the story, you pivot, it makes more and more sense. But yeah, it's, it's a journey and it's, it's a long journey. One definitely needs a lot of patience and resilience. It, and I think some of the greatest stories, right? If we look at many of the great uh, success stories, they've all been rejected so many times. I've read a Twitter thread the other day, Google tried to sell to, I don't know, what it was uh, for 700k, uh, they got rejected. Right? There were so many crazy stories. Airbnb raised, uh, tried to raise for such a long time, got rejected. So some of the greatest success stories had to go through a lot of rejections and a lot of pushback. And it's tough. But yeah, that's also why I think there's so few successful companies compared to how many get started, because it's such a intense um yeah process of getting through this rejection period it truly is man i i could have really said it better that was that was definitely a great answer um you look back at all the other people who are successful and point to them and say hey you know they're they faced failure and if you want to be worth anything you got to go through challenges um you know opportunities to rise up um, so yeah, for Absolutely. anybody who's at home, maybe thinking about some challenges that they're going through, just rise up to the occasion, push through because everybody's got them. It just matters how you respond to them. Um, no, man, what, what do you think about where this market's going? Just, you know, in the near term, um, near to midterm, do you think that this Bitcoin halving is going to be pushing a lot of excitement back into the market over the next year? Um, or do you think, um, you know, we're dead in the water right now um, where we sit? Where, where's your head at? I'm very bullish. I mean, what just happened with Ripple winning the case against the SEC, right. BlackRock ETF getting approved. So those are extremely great things happening. And then traditionally, yeah, there's the halving. One year later, the bull run starts, right? There's uh, even, there's logic to it in the sense that um, the prices change, the rewards are changing. Therefore, the Bitcoin moves up and then of course it's a, a steep rally and then it crashes at some point but there's a very clear pattern which is related to halving so i'm pretty confident that um, the next halving will have a similar effect like the ones before and also if you look at how much is being built in the last bear market there was really a crypto winter almost no capital got deployed, very few builders. Now there's so much capital that's being deployed and still sits to being deployed. There's so many builders, development activity is super high. Um, I'm, I'm very confident that, I mean, Web3 is here to stay, that's, that's clear, but the, that the next bull run will be 
will be big and bigger than the last one. And I could imagine this happening in 2025, one year after half. But the, no financial advice. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> never sure. is. Never is. Uh, we just always like to hear people's opinion. Remember, we're just random guys off the internet. That's what I always say. Uh, you know, we're not your financial advisors. We're just out here talking shop about crypto. I'm actually curious. One kind of last question before we get to some closing questions. What other enterprises are out there that you think are really forward looking um, kind of in your space with, you know, Deepin or there, you know, I don't know if it's you know the Googles of the world or if there's other companies that are really looking at this technology and applying it um, and partnering with crypto companies. Yeah, one company I always like to highlight is Bosch, the, the, the Bosch. big uh, German manufacturer. They're best known for appliances, right? And people know them for that. But actually, the biggest part of the Bosch um, company is automotive. So they're tier one, the biggest automotive supplier. So they're heavily involved in smart city, mobility, and all of that. Mm. And they actually have a a task force basically that is working on the economy of things on their project since five years already. So they're investing into Web3 and finding new ways and business models since many years. And yeah, we're working with them closely on a, a project within Gaia X, which is a European funded project. They're very closely partnered with Fetch AI and Ocean Protocol is also involved. So they, they do a lot in, in terms of IoT, mobility, and really see a great future in, in Web3, which is very exciting because they also say like, hey, there must be platform models which are independent from the big hyperscalers, but where the platform is open, neutral, everyone can participate. And then I do, do think that the biggest disruption will come from startups though. So this is a new paradigm right like enterprises do innovation they they build pocs but i think the groundbreaking new solutions gonna be startups for example web3 car sharing where or like you know they they will also work on solar panels wind turbines there's a lot of disruption that that can be done and it's usually new companies that that then become big the new big companies right that are um creating the big disruption very cool. Well, let's get to uh, the, the final curtain, um, and then we'll let you go get back to building the future of IoT. Give a shout out real quick just to someone who's really inspired you and been with you along the way uh, that deserves some recognition and credit. We always want to give highlights and uh, attention to the people that really deserve it in this space. Yeah, amazing. I think who deserves us the most in our case is our advisor and investor, Michael Ganser. He's been the first one believing in us uh, years ago where it was really tough with we didn't have much yet to show. He's been uh, leading Cisco Europe, Cisco Germany before. So incredible executive who has been yeah, providing us with a lot of trust up front, guiding us, supporting us all along. And yeah, I think without him, we wouldn't be here because he got other investors then also interested in joining us. And I think he has been, he has been making a massive difference uh, to our journey. That's incredible. And uh, I know we already talked about Bosch, but I wanted to also ask out of um, other crypto companies that, that you might've seen along the way, or maybe other platforms, do you have any that you want to shout out that you think are really impressive or maybe people should go build on or check out? Um, and we, uh, outside of any of the other ones that we talked about today. 
Yeah, I mean, there's there's of course Ethereum, which uh, we've been and working with very early. Like a good friend of ours is Ethereum co-developer. I think what Ethereum has brought to the space is incredible as its first uh, smart contract, as the first smart contract platform, and also the way it's set up and it's led and and initially built by by Gavin and Vitalik is is fantastic and I, I know we've touched on on Polkadot already before but then Gavin went on to to build Polkadot right and mm-hmm. we've we've explored many different ecosystems and what really makes us as or what what stood out for us in Polkadot why we chose Polkadot is the technology itself, but also the people behind it, like Parity as a company, the way they they built the ecosystem, resilient, true decentralized governance, really pushing things forward where a lot of other big layer ones and layer twos are more in for the money and the story. And, you know, they still have a long way to go for resilience and decentralization. Polkadot is leading a lot of those things. They're not that heavy on marketing. I think this is changing now, but fundamentally there's uh, so much well done there so i want to give a shout out because i feel like not enough people speak about and really see the true value of, of polkadot and what's being built there yeah no that's incredible stuff and and just for those of those of us who are you know might be out here listening to the the podcast and this is you know early on in our journey um maybe we're you know just a month into holding crypto or maybe just a year, whatever it is, what would you, you know, what kind of advice would you give to someone trying to navigate this whole crazy ecosystem? <laughs> yeah. So f- the first thing is it's super volatile. Like the asset class is very volatile. So yeah. don't be scared by the, the quick ups and downs. This is part of it. If you look at the space for many years, right there, are the bull and the bear cycles, ideally um, one buys in the bear cycle and then holds or, or sells uh, no financial advice again but right it's like there, there's a good times to buy there are bad times to buy this this is one thing and then really being not afraid by the roller coaster right it goes up and it goes down and that's part of the game think long term and also there are very solid projects i think they're called blue blue chips right they're very solid projects who have been around for a long time and then there are a lot of projects who might disappear tomorrow so do your own research really understand what what is behind that project and uh, have a long-term mindset right uh, trading is uh, difficult and think long-term and st- be calm about it yeah <laughs> it's don't, difficult don't let sometimes. your emotions don't let your emotions yeah. get in the way or get the best of you i mean it doesn't work in life in relationships and anything like that and it certainly doesn't work in trading and, and success building so Absolutely. Keep a stoic, calm attitude about everything. <laughs> and thinking long term, right? Like really thinking year in years, not in month, even in decades, right? Like if yeah. you're able to do this, you will win because yeah, you can see the bigger picture and have a long term strategy. Amazing. Well, uh, Leo Derlichter, the co-founder of Peak, thank you so much for joining us today on the Crypto 101 podcast. I hope you had fun. Thanks a lot for having me. Yes, it was great, guys. <laughs> awesome. Well, everybody who's listening at home, uh, come on back later on in the week uh, or next week. We got guests all day, every day. Um, we'll see you guys around.
Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.